Good morning, everyone. Welcome back. Coming to you live from the CBS Community Kailal of the CBS Community of Summers in Philadelphia. We are kicking off another beautiful week, starting another Derech Hashem week over here, and we're up to the beginning of a brand new parak as we come to you live on a beautiful Monday morning over here. And we are in Chelik Bay's Parak Zion, the beginning of Parak Zion. And this is entitled, this title is the Ramchal's title, B'inin Hashpaz HaKechavim. On the topic of the role and the influence of the stars. How about that? So this week we're going to be discussing the stars and how the stars affect the universe, how the stars affect mankind, and the role that the stars play in the B'riv Hashem. And this has to do, obviously, this is under the greater umbrella of Chelek Beis, which is the topic of Hashgacha Pratas, how Hashem runs, Hashgacha rather, Hashem runs, governs, and maintains the world. So the stars are clearly a part of that system as to how Hashem runs, governs, and maintains the universe, the stars themselves. So this should be it seems a, a very fascinating chapter right now. To, it's a very fascinating parak to um, explore together, and it, indeed it is. So let's, without further ado, get started over here. Simon Aleph, Hine, Kvar Aleph. We've already explained in the first section. Everything we see down here in the physical world, in the world of physical existence, solid, rock hard. Uh, corporeal matter. It really is the bottom level expression and iteration of something that has its source and its roots and its origins in things that are disembodied, the, the realm of the spiritual and the realm of the metaphysical. Everything down here is a representation, an iteration, and a manifestation of something way up on high, and it's the final iteration, the final expression of something that starts at a great, great, great distance. It's rooted and has its origin somewhere else. So this is just a projection, what we construe as ultimate reality, because to us this is real reality, this is solid, physical, tangible, concrete, is in fact the most distant from absolute reality. Absolute reality is where something originates, where it begins, where it's uh, source material is. And everything is like that. In other words, there's nothing down here that doesn't have source material on high. There's nothing down here that is not an ult- just a, a, a final expression, an iteration of something extremely and totally, entirely spiritual, something which is nivdal. Nivdal, and we had that lush in the first section, nivdal means totally removed from any, all matters physical and material. Vavnam. Where we have the origins and the 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 um, point of emergence for everything that's down here, there it can be found with all of of its properties and specifications and and details. It's just again in concentrated form, not unlike DNA. You know, the entire person can be found in his DNA. You sequence somebody's DNA, you find everything about them there, from their height to their the eye color and the hair color and how long their nose is going to be, and how intelligent they're going to be, and unintelligent they're going to be, how, how their, their, their muscular system is going to look like, their metabolism, it's all their diseases that they're going to be prone to, it's all there in the DNA, every last detail. And DNA, again, it's really physical, but it's a nice analogy for something that's metaphysical and spiritual, because you, know, you can't really touch, you can't smell, you can't taste, you can barely even see it. You've got to get these electron microscopes to, to get a glimpse at it, but the entire person is there in concentrated, encoded form. 
with all the details that are eventually going to emerge and come to light. It's the same thing in the realm of the spirituality. The, the Shorashim, for everything that happens down here, is not just there in elemental form, in basic form, but in detailed form as well. All the details are also up there. That's the, what, what the Ramchal is trying to stress. You're talking uh, about DNA? Is that what you're... I'm giving using DNA as, as an as a, oh. yeah, as, as a analogy. Um, from that <clears throat> elemental root where it's there in concentrated form unto all of its details it has to be relayed it has to be transferred and propagated you know step after step level upon level and iteration upon iteration until it finally comes out here in a, a, a level of in a, in a form rather of physical existence and we saw this again, he's just giving us a quick recap of ideas that we saw in the first section, that there is a relay system and there is an expansion system where something is compressed and it gets gradually decompressed and decompressed and decompressed and decompressed until it's finally, and it gets relayed and applied, relayed and applied and manifest until we see it down here in the realm of physical. So nearly all the steps are spiritual steps, spiritual relay stations, where it's slowly getting expanded and, and, and getting... Um, decompressed, and those concentrated details are becoming more palpable, more apparent, more discernible, but nearly all the steps of this innumerable, vast system of, of, of being relayed are all spiritual. There's only one step which is physical, and that's the final step down here. When we come to our existence, rock-solid reality down here, that's the only step of the journey that is that is a transfer from spiritual to physical. So everybody understand that this is very key and clutch and important to the parak that we're emerging upon right now, that there are vast amounts of innumerable, uncountable, unfathomable steps of, of station to station to station where the DNA becomes expanded and, and interpreted and, 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 and uh, decompressed and takes on more form and more substance. It gets relayed to the next station, to the next station, to the next station, and takes on more and more and more of a discernible appearance, tzura, but that's still all spiritual. Kayach to kayach to kayach to kayach to kayach to kayach takes more and more, coalesces and crystallizes. It's still all spiritual. There's only one step of the whole process, which is from spiritual to physical, and that's down here. There's, once it's physicalized and actualized down here, it's, it doesn't, there's no more physical to physical transferences anymore. There's only one. Okay. For this purpose, the purpose of the transfer and the actualization, concretization of taking the spiritual construct and map and applying that in a physical way, the, there has been prepared all the spheres and the orbits and the stars. The galgalim is a, a concept, a term that the Rambam uses Galgalim just means that all the spheres in the heavens, the constellations and the planets and the star and the sun and the moon are thought of being in different spheres, spheres of orbit. So I don't know what we, we, could, up, we could refer to this as galaxies, even though, again, when the Rishayim say that word Galgalim, they don't mean galaxies. Uh, they don't mean... The closest thing, I, I think, that we, in our terminology, to what the Rishayim meant with this is orbits. You know, the different orbits see. You know, Mars has an orbit and Jupiter has an orbit and Saturn has an orbit. All these distancing concentric circles, ovals. Um, and galaxies also have orbits. Uh, that would be the closest term that we have in, in, in scientific, modern scientific uh, understanding. 
But even then, they, they, Galgalim really meant more spheres, and the way the Rishayim understood things, it, stars were fixed in one sphere, and plants were fixed in another sphere. They're in spheres where different things were found. But okay, for, for our purposes, we can translate Galgalim as orbits, we can translate Galgalim as, as galaxies, whatever you want. But the point is, we're talking about the same thing, we're talking about the stars that are up there in the sky. Okay? So the Ramachal can explain, explain to us what's going on with stars, What's the purpose and the point of stars? Why, why, why they're necessary and what they're doing? What function they serve? What are the stars there for? Why are there so many stars? Everyone, anyone ever wondered this? It's a good question. Hashem makes everything for a reason. So we understand the things that are down here created for a reason. As we know this already. Any flora, fauna animal, mineral, or vegetable somehow is getting the world closer to its shlemus. And the world needs grasshoppers. Why does it need grasshoppers? It's to punish Mitzrayim. It's to punish the plantations that don't keep Shemitah. Grasshoppers are there to do things. with penguins, why are penguins there? I don't know, but they're there for a purpose. This kind of lichen, this kind of moss, this kind of bacterium, this kind of tree sloth, all these animals and vegetables and minerals are, are there for a purpose. So we get that. We get that when we're talking about things that are down here. Because everything that's down here, you know, is, can have something to do with mankind, can have something to do with, with their, in a primary, secondary, tertiary way, can have something to do with mankind and his, his, his quest for shlemus. But what about everything that's up there? Everything that's up there, the stars, galaxies. galaxies, even the planets. The moon, okay, we get the moon. The moon actually has a direct and immediate influence on the, on the earth. The moon is responsible for, for the tides. The moon is something that, that counts off the, the chadashim, the, the months of the year, Jewish months. So the moon certainly serves a purpose. But the planets, and let alone the stars and the galaxy, the many galaxies are out there, billions of galaxies, each galaxy has billions of stars. Some of them have trillions of stars. Um, how many stars can, can, is the naked eye capable of seeing on, 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 on a good, clear night where you are not in a place where there's light pollution? We're talking about here. We have Shlomo there, who's currently camping out in a uh, Walmart parking lot in Arkansas, as we just saw, right? So at night, and you're in that, in, in that Arkansas parking lot, um, and, 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 and uh, the Walmart there, they, they shut off the, the spotlights. So you know how many stars can human eyes see on any on, on a, on a given night? So when I was a kid, I had a book that said 2,000 stars. I remember this fact as a kid. The, the naked eye can see 2,000 stars. I took my kids Chalamoid to uh, the Benjamin Franklin Science Museum in downtown Philadelphia. Um, why do we go there? Why do we go there? Because... The, the reasoning was like this. It was Chalmite. You have to take your kids on a Chalmite trip. So let's go to Lakewood. Let's go to Lakewood. And he said, one second. Lakewood's an hour away. We could drive an hour to go to Lakewood, or we could drive a half hour to the Benjamin Franklin Museum and see Lakewood there, and it's only a half hour. So that's tackle what we did. We drove a half hour downtown to the Benjamin Franklin Science Museum, and the Benjamin sent Lakewood to us. Benjamin sent Lakewood to us. Um, in any case, we went to the planetarium. Um, and um, 
there they announced at the planetarium. They said during this planetarium show, they said they said that the human eye can see 3,500 stars on a clear night. Okay, so see so either there's a dispute over here, or the machlekes, or the facts have changed. When I was a kid, it was 2,000, and they said in the Benjamin Franklin Science Museum that it's 3,500 stars you can see, but that's already quite a lot of stars. See 3,500, and we know that that that's a drop in a in, in a, a molecule in a drop in the bucket in the ocean of the amount of stars that are really out there. And the understood question, unspoken question over here is, my high to come on? Why did bunch make so many stars? These galaxies, no one's ever going to get to these galaxies. They're never going to reach them. And the closest galaxy is like four or five light years away. So if you travel the speed of light, you'll get there in four or five years. So light gets there in four or five years. But human beings can't go that fast. They're never going to be able to go that fast. And even the planets, the, 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 the furthest planets, the solar system is way too far. It takes hundreds of years to get to the furthest planets. And forget about it. The stars, we're not exploring these places. We're not going there. We're not getting anything from them. We don't even, we barely get any light from them. And you get light from 3,500 of them. And the rest of them we get garnished. Garnished. So why did the Rebbein Shalala make so many stars? And, and, and the more scientific progress we make, the more stars we discover, the more galaxies we discover, and the more um, stars within these galaxies. It can't all just be there for the government to pour billions of dollars into all those billions of stars. It can't just be there to waste taxpayers' money. Why are all those stars there? These stars were around before NASA. They were around before the Space Exploration Program. Why on Earth and why in all the galaxies Akash Baruch Hu makes so many stars? What are they doing for us? Not getting anything out of them. We're never going to get anything out of them. So the Ramchal says a fascinating idea here. Zok the Ramchal. The stars are responsible for that final transfer. That final transfer of Ruchnis to Gashmias, of what everything is going to look like down here, which is ultimately just a manifestation of a source existence, source matter, and a concentrated. Ruchni's existence, which transfers from Kayach to Kayach to Kayach to Kayach to Kayach to Kayach and gradually gets more expansion, gradually gets more development, gradually gets more decompression, and it goes from step to step to step to step until finally the final step we said. That last and final step is from Ruchni's to Gashus, and there's only one of those. The stars are responsible for that final transfer. The stars are there to effect that final transfer from spirituality to, to physicality to receive from the penultimate step, the second to last stage of Ruchnius. And that transfer of interpreting and applying and manifesting the, the details of every item in creation over here as it's being received from the final level of Ruchnius and transferring that into Gashmius, that's what the stars are doing. In one moment. And everything gets avekestelt over here gets set up and established and manifested in the proper way, in the way that it's supposed to look. That's what the stars are doing. So there's immediately a lot of questions over here. How are the stars doing that? And Viter, why is it necessary to have stars to do that? These are two questions. Why is it necessary, Nochamel, to have the stars doing this? And B, how are the stars doing this? But on the, uh, 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 we have these two questions which have to be addressed before we wrap this paragraph up for the day. 
But at the same time, without knowing the answers to those two questions, how are they doing it? And why do they need to do it? Why can't it just be, again, transfer to transfer? It's about stars, you need stars. Um, to, just to explain the question of how are the stars doing it? What, 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 what's meant? What do I mean when I ask how are the stars doing it? What are stars really? You know, the Ramchal is excitedly talking about all the stars, and the stars are responsible for the final transfer. So science tells us, modern scientific, not just thought, but discovery tells us, we know this through spectral analysis. So what are stars really? Balls of light? Gas. Balls of gas that are on fire, that produce light. Okay? Close enough. The light that's coming is as a result of uh, nuclear um, fission. Fission, right? Fusion. 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 Nuclear fusion that's going on. I think I got it. So if I'm wrong, someone will correct me, hopefully, out there in Zoom space or WhatsApp land. I'll get some angry comments. But um, I think it's fusion, right, Arthur? Okay, if I'm wrong, then it's Arthur's fault. Right. But um, uh, so the balls of gas, of which there's these gases that are being you know, fused together and releasing exorbitant copious amounts of energy and light and heat, etc. That's what that's what stars are. So they're not even rack. They're not even, you know, they're just balls of gas. Um, how exactly are the stars making a transfer from Ruchnius to Gashmius? See, we were living here like 400 years ago. Someone could have convinced us that every star, these are really angels up there. That's why they twinkle, twinkle. Because angels twinkle, right? Angels twinkle, stars twinkle. Uh, but we, we, we know this is incontrovertible. They, they have analyzed, you know, the wavelengths of light that are coming from these stars. They know exactly to a T what is the, in the composition of every single star. There's something called the spectral analysis, which they do based on analyzing the light. Different chemicals release different patterns of light. And it has to, and, and by analyzing the light that comes from every star, you know the chemical composition of every single star. A famous astronomer once said, I don't know who, he said, we know more about the chemical composition of the stars than we do about the medicine that is in our medicine cabinet, drugs in our medicine cabinet, which is true. These things have hundreds and hundreds of different weird chemical molecular compounds. The stars are pretty straightforward, and they know, just look at the light, you know exactly what's tzotzach in the stars. So that's the first question. How are the stars doing? These stars, these balls guess how they're making that transfer. But why is it necessary to have stars? The Ramchal is trying to explain to us why we need these stars. He's saying they're there to make that final transfer. Why, why is that, again, necessary? Up until that point in time, it was sufficient just to have kaychas and kaychas and kaychas. Why is the final transfer from Ruchnis to Gashmis require stars? We'll get to both of these questions. But what we have immediately, though, an answer to, the immediate clarity that we have is, why Taka are there billions of galaxies and billions of stars? More light. Most of them we don't get any light from. So why, why, we asked our starting question, we know why Hashem made cucumbers. We know why Hashem made sea urchins. We know why Hashem made giraffes. These things are immediate, we interact with these things. They're down here in our veldt. Why does Hashem make all these things that we're never going to see, we're never going to perceive, we're never going to travel to, we can't see without these telescopes. You're never going to get anything out of them. Why does Hashem make so many of them? Billions upon billions upon trillions upon trillions of stars. Why? Because there's billions upon billions upon trillions of things that are in motion all the time down here, and each of them need a relay point, a transfer point, to create the proper manifestation of everything that's in existence down here. That's why there's so many stars. So every star and every combination of stars, every combination of, 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 of astrological signs with the planets, with the galaxies, every alignment is there to determine another aspect of physical existence down here, from the sea urchins to the cucumbers to the giraffes and gazelles and every human being in every nation. 
That's why there's, it seems to be an infinitude of stars. The more they, they, they turn these telescopes over, the more they're always discovering new galaxies. They don't really know how many stars are there, there are out there. They're always discovering new galaxies as they get more and more powerful telescopes. They see more galaxies with more stars and more galaxies and more stars. And that's exactly the Vart, because every star is there to be combined with other stars and other galaxies to be the relay point for everything that happens down here. So what happens down here is clearly quite complicated. There are 7 billion people in existence, and all the animal, mineral, and vegetable life that's in existence, and everything has to be an expression, a manifestation of that transfer of Ruchnis to Gashmis, which is coming via the stars. That's why there's so many stars. And it's so complicated and so vast and innumerable because this, down here, it, the system is so complicated and vast and innumerable. Very geschmack. That's why there's so many stars. Everybody got that? Okay, let, let's read a few more lines. And then we'll try to come back to our first two question, qu questions. How is it happening through the stars? And why are the stars necessary? Why do I need the stars up until that point in time? Um... Kaiches were sufficient. V'amnam. Minyan ha-kaichav ha-madrageisem v'chom achalakeseihem the amount of the stars and the different levels of stars and the departments of the stars, different departments that they arrange themselves into. Hoyu kefi ma-sherosa chachme al-yona ha-yoyse tzorich v'novas el ha-hetek ha-zesh ha-zacharnu. The amount of the stars, the different arrangements that these stars are, and he's talking about the, the signs of the zodiac, the mazalus, and then we would say the galaxies and the planets, all the different combinations and alignments they can be in, is based on Akadosh Baruch Hu's, um, perfect system of arranging these things as is necessary and appropriate, and again perfect for them governing and 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 um, relaying to Hashem's world down here all the information is coming from above. In other words. There's, there's, there's not a single random haphazard unaccounted for star. Everything is perfect, up until the very last star, which is really mind-blowing and mind-boggling. All the billions of galaxies with trillions of stars, each and every one of them is there for a specific uh, aspect of life down here. And this is a possibility. Even back in the day, when you could see, see either... Gave all the different sheetas, 2,000 stars, 3,500 stars. You know, that, that was already pretty impressive. My name is Parla keeps track of all of them. And as the more we discover, the more that that Pazik gets applied, the more that Pazik is very mind blowing, really. My name is Parla They're all there for, to, be, to be directing and, 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 and um, applying to a specific area of the Gashmis down here, instructions and the, uh, the um, properties and details of things that are coming from on high, okay? Um, what does it mean then, Arthur, when a star goes supernova? Sometimes stars blow up and the star's not around anymore. Sometimes they get sucked in by a black hole. Sometimes they get sucked in by a black hole. So we could, you know, start getting really excited and, 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 uh, and carried away with this and say, well, that's when, you know, things go extinct down here. Or when nations get destroyed down here, that's their star just got sucked into a black hole. Could be, could be. All right, but then, you know, that, 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 that's a very exciting, wild thought, but that takes us far off course. So let's, let's, can, let's get back to the text. Let's get back into what the Ramchal is sharing with us. Let's wrap up this paragraph. 
Again, from the Kaychavim is made that final transfer point that the details and the Shayrashim, the source material and the source uh, existence of everything down here is transferred via the stars to the physicality down here. That's the final step. Goes through the stars. Via the stars, we have that final transference and that is what concretizes the source material for everything that's found above and is responsible for everything that is down here um, according to how it has been relayed from the highest level on high. The stars are responsible for the final transfer, the final concretization, when it goes from Ruch to Gashmias. Okay, that's the end of Simon Aleph. Um, quite a lot over here. And you see the Jewish take, Hashkafic take, take on stars and on astrology. Um, and the two questions that we're left with are, how are the stars doing this? The stars that we know nowadays have been proven beyond the shadow of a doubt to be just big balls of gas. And why Vita does the Rebbeinu Shalem deem it appropriate and fit and necessary to do this with the stars if all the, there's, there's so many unknown innumerable levels of transference in Ruchnius before you get to the stars that's not going through stars, it's just going through Kaichas. Why does the final level need stars? Um, but before we answer these final two questions, it's one more thing to, 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 one more dot to connect over here. So we said we understand now with, without any Sveikas why this takas so many galaxies, so many stars, because life down here is so complicated. And we also see that astrology is a real zach, this chachma called um, astrology, which is being able to gaze up at the stars and the planets and know what's going to happen down here, predict events down here for individuals and for nations based on the stars. Astrology is a real chachma. It's a real chachma. It's coming from, it's a real science. And it's coming directly out of this paragraph over here. Now, nowadays is it real? You know, the, the, the horoscope that they print next to Dear Abby? Is that real? It's, uh, it's, that's a lot of bunk. And that's a lot of um, uh, ambiguities that anyone could really write, you know. Today will be a day that something will happen that didn't happen yesterday. Be prepared. Okay, you know, it's, uh, everyone reads into these things what they want to. And, and that's how they're, they are uh, they're staying in business. Nowadays, the astrologers that we have are never really so much in touch with this Chachma, but, you know, Paroi told Moshe, um, There's a star called Ra'a that's waiting to greet you in the desert, and that star foretells blood. Paroi saw there was a star that was rising in the desert where the Yidin wanted to go to, and that star was responsible for blood. And he really saw that, and it was a real thing. He thought it was blood of destruction and doom. It ends up being blood of Brismila. Good. All right. Uh, there's a real chachma of, of reading the stars, and if you really know how to do it, you can read the future for nations and for individuals within the stars, because the stars are there to carry out and to carry over and to give rise to what happens down here, and they're tr making that final transfer. Not only that, there's a Rashi in Masech Shabbos that says that a Yid has an obligation to learn the chachma of astrology. The, the Gemara in Shabbos, it says... Um, The Kleisel is described amongst the nations as an Am Chachem Venovoin. The Pasuk in the Veschanan says, Am Chachem Venovoin. The nations look at us, describe us as wise and a wise and perceiving nation. And the Gemara says that a Jew has to learn has to learn the wisdom of the stars. And that's what the Gaim are impressed with. As a Machleg Zishan, what does it mean the wisdom of the stars? It means astronomy or astrology. Astronomy just knows means knowing when to predict 
lunar eclipses and solar eclipses and knowing the zodiac signs and just having an awareness, having that knowledge. Astrology means knowing how to make predictions. So Rashi actually learns that Yid has to know astrology. Other Rishonim say astronomy. But either way, either way, the Chachma of astrology is a real Chachma. Our two questions, though, are how the stars and why the stars. So in terms of how the stars, the obvious answer is we're not talking about the balls of gas. We're talking about the star that represents that ball of gas. Every star has a star. The star of the star. Every river has an angelic agent that, that, is, that is there appointed over that river. That river that's down here has an angel behind it. The mushrooms have angels behind the mushrooms, and the cucumbers is an angel that speaks for the cucumbers. And there's an angel, a kayach, a malach, behind every star. So that's the first of all, we're not talking about the balls of gas, we're talking about the malachim that are linked, specifically one malach to every ball of gas. That's who's making that final transfer. And the stars are really just a readout of what the malachim are doing. Okay, that's the answer to the first question, a very straightforward one. We see the stars as a readout of what the malachim are doing in that final transfer. But why the stars? Why up until that point in time? We don't need stars to be linked to these malachim, to be linked to these kaiches, rather. And if at the final point of transference, we do need stars. What's the vart? Why do we have to have stars at the final point of transference, but we don't have to have them at any other point of transference? And that is the question of the moment, Rabbi Isai. That's the question. Yes. So the answer is like this. Beautiful answer, but a very yesoidistic answer. And it has to do with the difference between that final, that final, um, transfer and all the transference points before that. What's the difference between that final transference point that the Kaychavim are standing behind and all the transference points before that? What's the difference? So, if anyone has been listening and paying attention and following along, they will know the answer to this question. What was the question again? How many stars are there in the observable galaxy? No, that wasn't the question. The question was, the question was, what's the difference between the final, the final transfer from the stars to us and all the points of transfer before the stars? That wasn't nice. I'm sorry, Rabbi Say. I don't know if it was any less not nice than everyone spacing out. This one is visible, the rest are not? No. What's the chilek between the final transfer that the Kaychavim represented and all the transference points before that? Very good. Till that point in time, they're all spiritual. Ruchni to Ruchni to Ruchni. If that's what you meant, that's what you should have said. Sorry. Up until that point, it's all Ruchni. Ruchni to Ruchni to Ruchni to Ruchni to Ruchni. Spiritual to spiritual to spiritual to spiritual. The final one is spiritual to physical. Spiritual to physical. And the only one that we opened off this year with this point and emphasized it a few point times. Because this is where we have to come back to. Emphasize this a few times. There's only one point where there's a transference from physical, spiritual to physical, and that's the final one. Everything up until that point is just further expansions of Ruchnius. Ruchnius to Ruchnius to Ruchnius. The final one is Ruchnius to Gashmius. So if we think about Ruchnius to Gashmius is bridging two extremes, it's two different extremes in terms of existence. Ruchnius and Gashmius are, are two polar opposites. Ruchnius to Ruchnius to Ruchnius, even though there's expansion and expansion and expansion, it's not polar opposites. It's not... Yom of Alayla, day and night, and, and two opposites. It's just Ruchnis taking on more of a tzura, more of a tzura, more of a form, more crystallizing, but still Ruchnis. The difference between Ruchnis going to expanded Ruchnis and Ruchnis going to Gashmi, spiritual, physical, is Yom of Alayla, day and night. 
This is two different extremes. So far, so good. And there's a yesoi that the 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 the, the tell us the bali machshav the bali ashkav tell us the yesoi. Whenever you have a gap, a point of transference between two opposites, there has to be a mamutza. There has to be a medium that bridges that gap that is sort of a halfway point, a midpoint between two extremes. It's always like this in Ruchni, it's always like this in Gashmi, it's always like this in Hashkafa, always like this in Yiddishkeit, always like this in every aspect of the Bria. Two opposites, two different extremes, always have to have a Mamutzo, have to have a Mamuzog, something in the middle that is facilitating that transference. And there's a Vilna Gain that goes about this at length and just gives different examples of... of uh, Two opposites, and you have something in the middle. The guy says a few. He's not talking about this over here, what we're talking about. But he says this elsewhere. He says Lamashal, You have in 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 in, in physical um, existence. You have Eretz Yisrael, which is one extreme, which is the, the Eretz Hakodesh, which is a holy land, and you have Chutzlarts, which is mundane. You have the holy and the mundane. There has to be some mamutza. Something in the middle that bridges the gap between Kedushas Eretz Yisrael and the, the Chol of, of, of Chutzlarz. He says that's, that's the Ever Hayarden. That's why there's a concept called Ever Hayarden, the Transjordan, is the Mamutza. Says the guy, what's the Mamutza between Yisrael Va'amim? There's got to be a midpoint between Kla Yisrael, which is where the Ab Kadosh, and the Goyim, which are Adamish and Lachrachet, you've seen in the Ramchal. The Mamutza is Yishmael. Says the Vilna Gain. Fascinating idea. That's right. Yishmol, get a bris milah, they have a chalik in their soul, sort of. Okay? Vichule, every two extremes always has to have, have a mamutza. Ruchnis to ruchnis to ruchnis are not two extremes. All the vast innumerable, innumerable steps of iterations of the Shairashim taking on more of a form, more of a tzura, have less to bridge, less of a gap, because it's not two extremes. When you go from ruchnis to gashmi, it's the final transference point. There's got to be a mamutza, some middle ground that's sort of ruchnis, sort of gashmias, not 100% physical, not 100% spiritual, but can bridge that gap to allow that transference point to happen. And that's what the kaychavim are. The kaychavim are this mitzias, this reality that is the mamutza, the midpoint that bridges the gap between ruchnis and gashmias, spirituality and physicality. That's why we need the stars. And that's why the final transference point is facilitated via the stars. That's why we need the stars to carry off to effect, effectuate the final transfers because the stars really are that midpoint. They are ostensibly physical. We can observe them. Um, we can see some of them. And even those that we can't see with our naked eye, we can see through telescopes. We can analyze their chemical structure. Yet we can never touch them. We can never interact with them. We can't have anything to do with them. We don't really get anything from them. We see them, but we can guide our boats by them at night, but we're not getting any heat from them. We're barely even getting any light from them. They're certainly not tangible to us. Nothing, we can't grab stars and bring them down, do anything with them, pocket them and sell them and mine them. And we're never going to reach them. We're never going to get there. We're never going to send spaceships there. Never, ever, 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 ever. So from that regard, in that aspect, they are uh, something that approaches spirituality. Spiritual in that they're intangible. So this is the mamutza between the Ruchnis and Gashmias, and that's why it has to be transferred via the Kaychavim to have that mamutza to bridge that gap between Ruchnis and Gashmias, which is what happens at the final step. Good. That's quite a lot to digest, quite a lot to um, 
True Pine Rabbi said, let marinate, and that is where we will stop for today. Tomorrow we continue with base, and everyone should be blessed and wise. I think the stars.